In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, if you ever get buried at this church, um, you will hear this passage read that Mary Gray just uh, read to us from John 14. This is almost always in the funeral service, uh, especially in the Episcopal Church in the prayer book. You will hear this uh, this injunction not to let your hearts be troubled. Jesus saying, believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? It's a beautiful, beautiful uh, word of immense comfort. But it's worth thinking about it outside the context of a funeral. Uh, Because it's not only in the lectionary for today, but it's, this, is, this is Jesus talking directly or actually during the Last Supper. So if you can picture that scene, the disciples in Christ, they're up in the upper room and they're, 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 he has just washed their feet. And after washing their feet, which puts everyone, it's uncomfortable, um, he predicts that Judas will betray him. He says, Judas, you betray me. Or he says, one of you will betray me. Sort of get on with it. And then after he says that, he predicts that Peter will deny him three times. So that's a lot to put out there in an intimate dinner party setting. Um, And it is a little funny because this is how to make it extremely awkward. And yet after that, that's when he says to them, but do not let your hearts be troubled. Now, why would he say that? These are men who have already been uprooted. They've been following Jesus for three years, and they're about to be completely uprooted again. The rug is about to be ripped out from underneath their feet, and they will be thrust into what today is politely known as a time of transition. A time of transition. Shoot me now. Um, Just kidding. But they're about to be abandoned. They're about to be left alone. I was thinking about this this week. I don't know if you read, but the U.S. Surgeon General announced this very week that the latest public health epidemic in America is loneliness. He says that the widespread loneliness in the U.S. poses health risks as deadly as smoking up to 15 cigarettes daily costing the health industry billions of dollars annually. And about half of U.S. adults say they've experienced acute loneliness in their lifetime. And if you think about it, it's, it's pretty taboo. You know, as, as sort of talking about mental health has become a lot more acceptable. It, you can say you're depressed, you can say you're anxious, but to say you're lonely, that's tough. That takes real guts. So they're about to be put into that position, but maybe you don't feel lonely, but maybe you do feel like they do, that the world is falling apart. Every headline you read, you think, how can it get any worse or more tenuous or simply how can it it feel any, uh, any more rocky? It's deeply unsettling. You see, Jesus is not talking to people who are completely tranquil and saying, don't start having a troubled heart. No, he's talking to people whose, whose hearts are already troubled. He assumes that people's hearts are troubled. He assumes that your heart is troubled, that mine is. So 
on what basis does he tell them to calm down? On what, how can he give this, this sort of advice? Well, he, he does so, um, he does it by giving them two distinct promises. The first promise he delivers to them is the promise of a place. The promise of a place. I've been thinking a lot about places recently, not only because sort of trying to think about moving houses and stuff like that, but uh, my parents just recently sold the condominium that my grandmother lived in for the last 30 years of her life. And it was a special place to me, you know, a lot of us, can you still smell in your grandparents' house? Like our grandparents' houses have very distinct odors. <laughs> and this is not good. Uh, it's not a bad smell. My grandfather worked, uh, worked for the National Geographic and, and he went around the world collecting artifacts. So there are like spears and tribal masks and enormous tortoise shells and things like that. And those things kind of smell. But it's a good smell and it's a comforting one. So, um, but when I was uh, 15, I was sent to boarding school across an ocean, and uh, I was away from my folks, and uh, this condominium in uh, where my grandmother lived was sort of my safe haven. When I was feeling lonely, when I was feeling untethered, I got to go there for the weekend. And so it was kind of like an anchor. I think a place can be an anchor for, for folks. And yet when I think about it, when I went to that condominium, when she was no longer in it, it didn't quite have the same luster. I mean, as much as it's about the place, it's really the people make the place. Isn't that true? I mean, if you're a person who's been on a honeymoon, try going back there, but without your spouse. It's a lot less magic. Uh, Maybe you've gone to a house that you grew up in. And it, it almost makes you sad because it feels so different than what you remember. I don't know. But I know that the place, the place that Jesus promises to them here is not a place that will be lonely. He says, I will be there also. It's a place where Christ himself will be. Now the second thing he tells us about this place that's being promised is that it's not a place of scarcity. There are many rooms in my father's house. So much of our lives is defined by scarcity, we just take it completely for granted. I mean, uh, there are only so many spots in this program, it's very competitive, so you better apply now. Not everyone gets in. If you want to talk real estate, there's an inventory problem, right? That's what we hear in this town all the time. There's an inventory problem. Which means there's not enough places for people to live. Not at this place. Not in the one Jesus is talking. He says there are many rooms. This is not a place of scarcity. There's no inventory issue. But thirdly, not only is it a place of abundance and not a lonely place, a place where Jesus himself will be, it's a place that's been prepared for you, where you are welcome, where there's sheets on the bed. You know the difference between a place that's been prepared for you and a place that hasn't? How different that can feel to you. I remember a couple summers ago, I was invited to speak at a place in uh, the um, Midwest, and uh, it was a very welcoming environment, but they didn't tell me to bring my own towels, right? You ever been to one of these places? And it's on the ocean. So it was, it, or the, the Lake Michigan, it's like an ocean. But it, 
they didn't tell me to bring my own towels. And so the whole week was like drying myself with sweatshirts and paper towels. You know, it's, it was not great. Um, and it was a little stressful. It, made, it wasn't relaxing. But if you go to a place that's been prepared for you, where your needs have been not only anticipated but provided for, you can feel your shoulders unknot. There's a feeling of calm. It's not like other places, a place that's been prepared for you specifically. So that's the promise Jesus gives them. And of course, Thomas responds with the, the immortal, like, well, how do we get there? This sounds great. How do we get there? Are you asking us to go on some sort of arduous journey to negotiate mogul after mogul after detour, Indiana Jones style, or simply like life? Well, not so. What he says is interesting. He says, I will bring you there. I will bring you there. And I will bring you there because I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now that's a controversial verse because it's followed up with no one comes to the Father except through me. But let's unpack it a little bit. You know, I think when you talk about a troubled heart in life, sometimes our hearts are troubled because we don't know the way. We don't know where we're going. We don't know what's next. We feel perhaps like we've taken the wrong path, the wrong way in life. We're haunted by regret. Or if if you're sort of graduating from from college, well, then you're just under enormous pressure to, to choose the right way and not the wrong way. Don't lose any time. Of course, life is not a race and you are not behind. It's hard to remember that. People get worried that this sort of talk from Jesus is a kind of a, there's a lot of different ways, and if you don't choose this way, well then, or else. We don't want to even talk about what, what it is. But try to think of it instead when he's saying, I am the way. Think about it like this. You are stuck. All roads appear to be blocked. You are in a box canyon. This is the much more accurate picture of human experience. Not that there's a bunch of different ways you can choose between in life. No, when it comes down to the real nitty-gritty of things, we often feel boxed in. We feel like trapped, that there is no way out. I feel checkmated by circumstance, by time. This relationship, this job, I don't see a way out. Your efforts to engineer a safe future have failed you. And in that moment, someone comes to you and says, actually, there is a way out. There is a way out. No matter how blocked off it may appear. Even that brick wall of the coffin at the funeral. There is a way out. But you'll notice Jesus doesn't say, I'm here to show you the way. He doesn't give them a list of directions. That would be a religious answer. Here's a set of rules to follow, boxes to check, so that you might be good enough to warrant entrance into the place that I've prepared. No, he doesn't say that. He doesn't indulge in that human projection of religion. 
He says, not let me show you the way. He says, I am the way. I am the way and the truth and the life. This is meant as a comfort, not a bludgeon. This is Jesus who says, I have come to, the, I remember my wife went to his uh, high school, that's uh, motto was, uh, find a way or make one. And uh, Jesus has come to make a way where there is none. To reconcile a fallen world to a holy God, to conquer sin, death, and the devil, all that stands between us and life. He has made a way. He is sloth at the end of goonies holding up the boulder so that people can go through. And not only that, though, because he is the way, he says, I am the truth. That sounds like a very exclusive claim, Jesus. That makes me uncomfortable. What about, what truth are you referring to? Well, when he says that he is the truth, don't be afraid. He's saying, I am the incarnation of God's truth. Specifically, the truth that speaks a lie to this idea that God doesn't love you. Or that you need to do more in order to warrant God's approval. Jesus is the incarnation of God's passion to save you. This is the truth that God washes the feet of those fickle, thick-headed disciples around that table. The truth that God forgives sinners like Peter and like you. That's the truth that Jesus has come to embody, to incarnate. And this makes him the life. St. John Christostom says that he is the life that death itself cannot overcome. Jesus who goes into death and death must surrender the spoils. God come in the flesh that death itself might be defeated and that the truth of God's grace for you, God's forgiveness might extend not just to this mortal plane but beyond. And so what have I tried to say in this sermon? I've tried to say that the place that we are promised that calms the troubled heart. This place to which we are going or that is coming to us is not so much about some abstract destination as much as a person. The place is Jesus Christ himself. And that's what he can say to you, let not your hearts be troubled. This is all God's doing on his authority. His promise, this vow of a place prepared for you long before your funeral. This is good news. This is a beautiful promise that transcends your ability even to grasp hold of it. So tonight, whatever the cause of your troubled heart, your fear, your guilt, your shame, your past, the burdens you are carrying, the betrayals you've engaged in and those that have you've suffered, petty denials. Well, Jesus has gone the way of death and resurrection for you, such that you, my friend, have a place, you have a home. In Jesus, you are never lost, but always found. In him, you are never dead, but always
always alive.